Welcome to another episode of the Ball Till You Fall podcast. So I just did the uh, Western Conference standings a couple days ago, and now it's time for the Eastern Conference, aka the Eastern Conference. So let's just go ahead right off the bat. Let's get into it. Uh, starting off, number one seed, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be the best team when it's all said and done in the Eastern Conference, but I do think that they'll still have a great regular season record because, well, mainly the reason is they're bringing back their two best players from last season in Giannis and Chris Middleton, um, and it's just not not all that much turnover, and where there was turnover, it's not like super important pieces. So um, I do think they'll be slightly worse than last year, and mainly because I think the loss of Malcolm Malcolm Brogdon is going to hurt them a lot. Now, in my opinion, outside of Mike Conley, Brogdon might be the most underrated player in the entire league. So last season, he averaged 16 points per game and super quietly under the radar. He was in that you know super special 50-40-90 club, which for those of you who don't know, means he shot over 50% from the field, over 40% from three, and over 90% from the free throw line. So that is usually reserved for guys like Larry Bird, Steve Nash, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, guys like that. But Malcolm Brogdon was indeed in that in that class last season when it came to shoot, shooting percentages. And on top of all of that, he was a really good perimeter defender, and then he was a really good ball handler. Now, Along those lines, I think that the Bucks would be much better off this season if they would have gotten rid of Eric Bledsoe but kept Brogdon because I think Brogdon would be a much better starting point guard for a team like the Bucks who are built around Giannis's skill set because Bledsoe, the weakest point of his game is his, is his three-point shooting ability. And like I said, Brogdon shot over 40% from threes last season. So I just think that was a mistake to let him go, uh, especially to a team in the Eastern Conference. But um, the the additions that, that the Bucks did make in terms of adding Kyle Korver and Wes Matthews, those will obviously help in terms of just, you know, those guys are knocked down three-point shooters who, even though they're both, you know, up there in age, they can still knock down an open three, which when Giannis is your star player and that's your whole system is designed around his ability to get to the basket, that's really what you need around him is three-point shooters. But, I mean, on the defensive end, those two guys, Corver and Wes Matthews, are well below average, I would say. Corver just because he's super old. And then Wes Matthews, I don't know. This might just be I might have watched, you know, the wrong game, but I watched a, a Pacers game last season and he just looked like he just looked like one of the worst players in the league, to be honest. So I know, you know, he had a couple good years on the Blazers and the Mavs, so I don't know if it's just like his his reputation precedes him at this point, but I don't think that those are necessarily great additions, um, just like overall. Now, the other addition they made, they added, they already had Brooke Lopez. They added his twin brother, Robin Lopez. And I think that that's a that's a pretty good addition, in my opinion. Uh, Robin Lopez is a guy who, he'll, he'll help them a lot when it comes to matching up with some of the other elite teams who can kind of go with like that twin tower two big man approach. So think about the Sixers with Horford and Embiid and then the Lakers with JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis. Uh, having the Lopez twins out there will, you know, at least give them the size uh, to theoretically match up with teams like that. And then Robin Lopez is still, 
he's still really good uh, at getting rebounds, especially on the offensive end. And then the most important thing about him is that he knows his role. He knows what he's good at and he knows what he's not good at. And really, he just knows his meal ticket. You know, the reason why he has had such a long NBA career is because he can get rebounds, play solid defense, and just you know make finish like easy layups and dunks and hit a mid range jumper occasionally. So, uh, just just like the familiarity and the system, the coaching, and still just having Giannis and Chris Middleton again, I think that will single hand like that. That's why I think the Bucks will get the one seed. Now, moving to the two seed, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. So they, this offseason, they lost J.J. Redick, they lost Jimmy Butler, and then they added Al Horford and added Josh Richardson. Um, now, I think, I think, in my opinion, this is the most talented starting five in the entire league. So their starting five will be Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid. Now, those are all five like good to really good players, depending on, you know, your opinion of each of those guys. Um, obviously losing Jimmy Butler is going to be significant because he was a re- he's a really good player and he was huge for them last season, especially in crunch time. But if you had, you know, if you had to pick somebody to replace him, Josh Richardson is, is a really an ideal player to be replacing Jimmy Butler. Uh, he can still score you know, not the same. He can't score at the same level as Jimmy Butler, but he can score enough. He averaged 17 points per game on the Heat last season. Uh, he's obviously not the shooter that JJ Redick is, but but JJ Redick was such a liability on defense last season that I think the trade off is worth it because Josh Richardson is a really really good defender. I don't want to say he's an elite perimeter defender, but he's a really really good defender, especially at six foot. He's a six six, so he can guard. You know anywhere from one to three uh, point guard, shooting guard, or small forward. Um, and then it's not like he's a, it's not like he can't shoot threes. He shot, he shot 36% on threes last season and that was on the heat. So I think it's safe to say that this season he'll get way more open looks, which, you know, which should lead to an increase in his three point shooting percentage. Um, and now the most, the most important uh, kind of wrinkle to this whole you know, replacing Jimmy Butler with Josh Richardson thing is I think that this will help unlock Tobias Harris because last season Tobias Harris was the third option at best on this team when it came to scoring behind Embiid and Jimmy Butler in whatever order. Um, But I think Tobias Harris is at his best when he's at least one of the two main focal points on an offense because, you know, his biggest skill set is his shooting ability and he can, you know, he can knock down open shots. He's a good catch and shoot player. He's also a good, you know, pull up off the dribble shooter. Uh, so now I think they'll get they'll get a lot more from him this season, and he'll be able to get he'll be able to get in a better rhythm than he was last season because last season he he didn't get like a consistent diet of of you know plays drawn up for him or just shots. So it was kind of a lot of him having to take big shots when he wasn't necessarily in the rhythm. Uh, and I, I don't mean to make excuses for him, but I just think, I think he'll have a much, much more consistent year shooting the ball this season. Now, um, moving along to another addition that they made who not via free agency, but via the draft, they drafted Matisse Thibel from uh, university of Washington. Now this guy, as I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take too much away from preseason games, but this guy looks like already he's a serious perimeter defender like one of the best in the league uh and now i think 
just from what I've seen in terms of his college highlights and what he's been doing against, you know, real NBA players in the preseason, where it's not like guys aren't trying, uh, he he seems like he has the potential to be what we all hoped Andre Roberson would become because he's he's a, he can be an elite perimeter defender but he also has the ability to knock down open shots. He's not going to ever be like a, you know, 40% three-point shooter averaging, you know, 15 points per game, but I think it's realistic to expect him to knock down like 35 to 36% of his threes and you know average anywhere from like 10 to 12 points per game. But on this team where they already are, you know, super loaded with established veteran talent, he doesn't need to be someone who comes into the league and you know tries to put up big numbers. I think he has a, he already has his role carved out for him as a defensive stopper where there's a scary lineup that the Sixers can run, which is really just that starting five I named, take out Tobias Harris, insert Matisse Thibel, and you have five, I think it's safe to say, elite defenders or at least really good defenders right there. Um, and like like I talked about on the, the West preview, uh, like the Clippers, similar to the Clippers, I think the Sixers team has the potential to be an all-time level team on the defensive end. Uh, there, I mean, if you just think about it, go position by position, they'll be a nightmare for opposing backcourts because Ben Simmons, their point guard, is 6'10", and Josh Richardson, their shooting guard, is 6'6". So that's by far, far and away, the biggest, uh, biggest backcourt in the league. So let's just go... And then, obviously, you have Tobias Harris isn't a bad defender. And then uh, Joel Embiid is a is actually a good paint protector. And Al Horford, obviously, one of the most versatile defenders that, w- that we've had in the league for a while. Um, even though he's old, he still is able to, he's someone who can, you know, bang with the centers down low, but then also somebody that you feel, com- you feel comfortable if he's switched on to a guard on the perimeter and you don't think, like, oh, no, it's a wrap. You know, automatic two points for the other team. So if we just go through uh, some of the some of the other superstars in the league right now, the Sixers have somebody or multiple players to counter pretty much any superstar you can come up with. So let's go start with the Lakers. Anthony Davis, Al Horford, and or Joel Embiid. You know, can take turns giving him a, a, a rough time. Then LeBron. Nobody can stop these guys, obviously, but. When it comes to LeBron, I mean Ben Simmons, six ten, so you know has has a slight height advantage, and he's a physical player, so he can at least make life difficult for LeBron. Uh, then we go the Bucks. You know Giannis is obviously MVP last season. Al Horford is probably the best player in the league when it comes to defending Giannis. Westbrook and Harden, obviously, like I said, you have Richardson, who's who's actually he's played really great defense on Harden in the past, and then Ben Simmons can give Westbrook problems just because. For the simple fact, he has six inches on him. Uh, Kawhi and Paul George, this is where it could get tough, but this is where I could see Thibault playing a really significant role because then you could have uh, Ben Simmons guard one of those, one of the two, Paul George or Kawhi, and then you can have Thibault guard the other. So then you have, you know, that's like probably two of the best players to somewhat neutralize those guys because, again, you're not you're not completely shutting either of them down. Um, and then we can, we can keep going. I mean... The Warriors backcourt of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson slash D'Angelo Russell. Just again, it comes down to height. I mean, Steph Curry's always struggled uh, in his career when you put height and length on him. Ben Simmons has like 
seven inches at least on Steph Curry. And then Josh Richardson, 6'6", has a couple inches on D'Angelo Russell, but also has the quickness and the physicality to, you know, actually overmatch him. Um, and then it, it continues. I mean, if you want to go to the Nuggets even, Embiid slash Horford can, can actually give Jokic problems. And Jokic is someone that, I mean, you can take him out of games. If you have an elite defensive center guarding him, it kind of it's not impossible to take him out of the game and then the nuggets fall apart. I mean, what are you going to do? Rely on Jamal Murray? Then okay, just have the Sixers put Josh Richardson on him, neutralize him, and then what? So you get the point. I could keep going, but uh the one the one weak point of the Sixers I would say is that their their depth isn't great, but they still do have James Ennis and Mike Scott who are solid veterans, uh solid role players who you know, they can handle their own business when when it comes down to it. If they're going against, you know, other teams' uh, backups, they'll be able to knock down shots. And just, again, what it comes down to for the Sixers is even their bench unit is still going to be an elite defensive unit, I think. Uh, because Thiebel is coming off the bench, and then those two guys I just mentioned, Ennis and Mike Scott, both solid defenders. And then, I guess the wild card slash X factor for the Sixers would be Zaire Smith. Uh, he... So he had pretty much all last season off. You know, he was dealing with, I don't even know if it's injuries, but it was an allergy. Uh, So he didn't play at all. And, you know, usually like we've seen in the past with Ben Simmons and, uh, you know, Blake Griffin, for example, when you get that year off, usually guys are able to come in and contribute right away. So I think, I think it's, 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 it's a good, it's a safe assumption to assume that he'll be able to contribute right off the bat this season just as long as there are no peanuts anywhere in his vicinity because he, he he missed last season due to a peanut allergy. And yes, I know that that sounds crazy, but that is what happened. Uh, so so their bench won't have to worry too much about scoring because they just have all these defenders out there. So Trey Burke, as well as kind of like the super fringe addition that, you know, I'm not saying Trey Burke is going to win sixth man of the year, but he's someone who can get you, you know, 10 to 15 points off the bench on any given night, really. Moving along to the number three seed, I have the Boston Celtics, who this offseason lost Kyrie Irving, lost Al Horford, lost Aaron Baines, and on the other hand, added Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor. So just first of all, just to clarify, I think there's a huge gap when it comes to the Sixers and Bucks at the top and then the rest of the East. So I don't think that the Celtics are a serious contender by any by any stretch, but just you know, based on the fact that the East is super weak, uh, I think they'll still win a bunch of games. Now we already know that Kemba Walker is going to do his thing; he's going to ball out, and it's actually one of the more you know one of the more exciting storylines of the season is that we get to see him finally play with some good talent around him because he just seems like a guy who, especially at, at this point in his career. He he just wants to do whatever it takes, you know, to win the most the most games for his team, and uh, we haven't really seen him with much success in terms of winning since he was in college at UConn. To be honest, um, then you know the next guy who who really will play a significant role in how well the Celtics do is Jason Tatum. Uh, so he has to just prove that last year was just a sophomore slump. You know, every, like a lot of players go through it; it's not a big deal. Uh, he looked really good in the World Cup this summer before he got injured, and now with Kyrie Irving out of the picture, uh, Tatum should you know there should be way fewer distractions, and 
I I think he should honestly be able to establish himself this season as like the number one option, uh, because I think again Kemba Walker would be okay with taking a backseat to Tatum if you know if Tatum really showed that he can kind of like take the reins of this team and average you know twenty five points a game maybe and just be the leading go to crunch time scorer. Uh, but the real X factor for this team is Gordon Hayward, uh, because to be honest, it's just really hard to know what to expect from him. So, like, last year he was just so up and down. Uh, You know, he would have a great game one game, score 30 points. Then the next game he would go 1 for 12, score 4 points. Uh, But at the end of the day, you look at his stats last season, and he he still did average 12 points, 3.5 assists, and and 4.5 rebounds per game. And that's coming off, like, a major, major injury. So now that he's had a full entire season and on top of that an entire offseason to, you know, rehab and recover – the hope is that, as a, as a Celtics fan, the hope is that the version of Hayward that we see this season is way more similar to the Utah Jazz Hayward from a couple years ago, where, where he averaged 22 points per game and shot 40% from three. Uh, they also, people might might have forgotten this after last season, they still have one of the best coaches in the league in Brad Stevens, and he's always just, you know, from his, his past, uh, you know, seasons as a coach when he's had success it seems like he does better when his team doesn't have high expectations which you know which is what he did at Butler when you know no one had heard of Butler until he was getting them into the national championship game and then those first couple seasons of his with the Celtics when they didn't have any big name players where he where he got them to be uh, you know legitimate teams at the end of the season so this seems like a, a classic season where you know, the Celtics do really well, and everyone's like, oh, well, we forgot how good of a coach Brad Stevens is. Um, and then just another kind of fringe addition they made, Ennis Cantor. I don't think he'll, you know, change anything that drastically, but he's just a solid player who who fits perfectly on teams like this where there aren't expectations and people kind of, you know, don't expect them to do all that much. Coming in at number four, I have the Toronto Raptors, the defending NBA champions. So obviously, as you might have heard, they lost Kawhi, and then they also lost Danny Green. Uh, then they added Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson, who, like four years ago, that would have been crazy to think that those two guys could be added as free agents to a team in the offseason, but that's where we are now. Uh, they also technically get OG Ananobi back since he didn't really play much at all last season. And he was a guy that they were, you know, super high on going into the season and just throughout the season in hopes that he would come back at some point. So you hope that he'll be able to come back and contribute this season. Now, the easy thing to say is that, oh, the Raptors will be fine because they went 17-5 and last season in games that Kawhi sat out. But really, uh, the, the reasoning for me having them rank, you know, finishing this high in the conference is I think it's more of a testament to how weak the Eastern Conference is overall than it is like an endorsement of how good this team should be. Because if this team was in the West, they would be right there with like the Sacramento Kings and like the Minnesota Timberwolves, Dallas Mavericks, just fighting for a playoff spot, I think. But they're in the East, so therefore I have them ranked number four in the conference. Uh, Now they still bring back Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Fleet, and Serge Ibaka. And they still do have 
you know, a lot of talent. And like I just mentioned, all those names, that's a lot of veterans right there who know how to win and know how to pace themselves throughout the season. So I just think, I just think that will lead to a significant number of wins uh, throughout the regular season, which will lead to a better, you know, better overall finish in the standings. Then this, the main reason that I have them ranked this high though, is that I think this is the season that Pascal Siakam just breaks out. He averaged 17 points and seven rebounds last season. Wow. And that's while sharing the floor, you know, with Kawhi obviously had to get his 23 points per game. And then Kyle Lowry was probably the second, second uh, option when it came to scoring. But now I think Siakam will be the main focal point of this offense. And just based on what we saw all last season, all signs point to him being able to average. I mean, I could see him averaging like 21 points per game for sure. That would not be surprising at all. And then you'd also like to see him take on more of like a playmaking role. And kind of, kind of just fill the shoes that, you know, that that Kawhi left because Siakam is, you know, not the same as Kawhi, but similar because he's also a really good defensive player, and that's where he like made his reputation first before expanding his offensive game. Now, this is something that's more like psychological again, but like I said, all those guys who who the Raptors brought back from the championship team last season, uh, I just think that. All these guys, even though Kawhi and Danny Green are gone, all those guys are still NBA champions, and that's something that you can't take away from them, and that's something that there's a ton of good players out there can't say. So I think, you know, what what that what last season's championship run will have done to their confidence is just like something that you can't measure necessarily, but I think it's something that will will really carry a lot of weight when it comes to the regular season because, you know, even if they're going up against a solid team in their conference, like the Celtics or the Pacers or someone like that, they can always think back to last season, you know, Fred Van Fleet can be like, I went toe to toe with Steph Curry and actually, you know, almost outplayed him, actually outplayed him in some games. Uh, Siakam can think back and say, you know, I was one of the best players on the floor in the finals last season. Uh, So I think, I think that will really help them. And then at the same time, I think, all of last season, I think the Raptors players all just had in the back of their mind, Kawhi's here for this season, that's great. But I think they kind of knew that that he was most likely going to leave in the offseason. So I don't think any of them were necessarily taken aback or surprised when he did decide to leave for the Clippers. Uh, so I think, I think they're kind of waiting for this opportunity where everyone thinks, oh, Kawhi left, Danny Green left, they're, you know, they're about to be a lottery team. But I, I really don't think that'll be the case. Uh, next up at number five, I have the the Brooklyn Nets, who had a crazy offseason because they added Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, even though Kevin Durant is not going to play at all this season. So for these purposes, I mean, if Kevin Durant was healthy, I would probably have the Nets up closer to like two, probably two or three in the conference, but no. So they added Kyrie and then also Torian Prince, who... Most casual basketball fans probably haven't heard of, but he's actually like a really underrated player. Uh, they also added Wilson Chandler and DeAndre Jordan. And they obviously lost D'Angelo Russell to the Warriors in that Kevin Durant like sign and trade whole, whole deal. So, you know, it might sound surprising. Like this is a team who got the sixth seed last season and, you know, kind of scared the Sixers in the first round of the playoffs. They added Kyrie Irving why why would i not have them higher well we already saw last season what a team of you know solid 
young wing role players and complementary pieces surrounding Kyrie Irving looks like in the Boston Celtics. And they barely got the four seed. Like they were lucky to not get the fifth seed. If Victor Oladipo didn't get hurt, Kyrie Irving's Boston Celtics last year get the fifth seed at best. Um, and then you have to ask yourself this. Do we really think that Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie are better players than Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? And then on top of that, do we really think that like DeAndre Jordan and, and Jared Allen, neither of them is even close to what Al Horford is as like a you know versatile role player, can knock down the three, can make plays out of the post, can guard any position one through five. Neither of those guys on the Nets now is like that. And then uh, Kenny Atkinson, the Nets coach, looks like a solid coach, but he's nowhere near the level of Brad Stevens either. So I just don't understand why people are just automatically putting the Nets up in like the top you know, three or four of the Eastern Conference. Uh, now, I do think Torian Prince will help out a ton because, like I said, he's super underrated. Um, and he actually did shoot, he shot 39% from three last season on the Hawks. And he's only 25, and he's also just a really solid defender. Uh, he's 6'8", just a wing player who can guard you know, any, anyone from like point guard to power forward, even if, if you really need him to. Uh, and then, obviously, Kyrie Irving is a much better player than D'Angelo Russell. But I just think that the Nets are one of the more overrated teams, in my opinion, at this point of the season, just, in, just based on like, just like the public perception of them. So they had a good season last year, and they still only won 42 games, which is two games, one game over 500. And then it's not like this season is just going to be super smooth. They still have to go through that whole process of, you know, integrating Kyrie Irving to the team. And then Kyrie Irving is already dealing with injuries. It's like it sounds like he's he like broke his face, facial fracture. That I don't know what part of his face is broken, but that can't be good, no matter what part of his face it is. And at this point in his career, it's safe to say Kyrie Irving super injury prone. And then you have guys like Spencer Dinwiddie is out here trying to sell shares of his contract, like their stocks or bonds, which don't know how that works don't know if it if the nba will allow him to do it but whatever it is like i mean you had a one or two good seasons that seems a li- like a little bit much to do after getting the sixth seed and you know getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs so i'm not a hater i'm not a nets hater but i'm just i just don't have that high of hopes for the nets this season number six i have the miami heat so the miami heat this offseason they they uh, they lost Josh Richardson, and they also lost Hassan Whiteside, who obviously that might actually be addition by subtraction, just classic case of that. And then they also added Jimmy Butler was you know one of the biggest moves of the offseason. And then they also added Myers Leonard, who imagining him in South Beach scares me. He might be off the team and out of the league in a couple weeks, but... Initially, I had the Heat higher in the standings, but then I started looking at their roster a little more, and outside of Jimmy Butler, there's not really anybody on their roster who who scares you as like an opposing coach or player. Um, I mean, their starting lineup, they have Tyler Harrow, who he look he looks like based on preseason again, which you can only take so much from this, but he looks like he's going to be a really productive player in the league. But at the end of the day, he's still a 19-year-old rookie who's going to be starting for the Heat. So we have to temper 
expectations slightly for him. Um, and then they're also still starting Kelly Olinick, who we've seen he can be he can be solid for you, but I don't think any team starting Kelly Olinick is really going to be that serious of a contender. Um, but I mean, the case for the Heat is simple: if if the young guys on their team who have flashed you know serious potential recently, if those guys take a big leap this season, then they're in business, and I could see them. I could see them getting the three seed, to be honest. Like their their peak, the best case scenario for the Heat is the three seed. But that means guys like Bam Adebayo and Justice Winslow need to really establish themselves as like solid players. So Bam Adebayo will be starting. Uh, so he has to establish himself as like you know a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year, and then uh, Justice Winslow has to establish himself as a candidate for Sixth Man of the Year because. He had he had some he had a nice stretch last season where like you know people brought up his name again as like oh maybe we shouldn't give up on this guy yet so we just need to see you know big improvements from those guys to really take the heat seriously um, and then the the reason why it was a little difficult for me to put the heat this low in my rankings comes down to the fact that I just have a feeling that we're we're about to see the best version of Jimmy Butler this season that we've ever seen in the NBA because if you think about you know the past 3 teams that he's had on each team varying levels of you know uh what's what's the word just run-ins with with coaching or front office or other players on the team and I say varying degrees because the Bulls and T-Wolves was horrible like the T-Wolves whole like practice saga uh situation predicament whatever you want to call it they made an entire game of zones episode out of that situation so the Sixers wasn't there was nothing too big but again it just didn't seem like it was the greatest fit and I mean obviously that's a team that almost beat the Raptors and he left that team so that just shows you in hindsight there was something going on there but but uh, anyways, all those teams, what they have in common, the Bulls, Timberwolves, and Sixers, all teams that Jimmy Butler has played on recently, what they all have in common is that they're all known as being relatively poorly run franchises, again, to varying degrees, because teams like the Timberwolves, one of the worst run franchises in the league, even the Sixers, if you think back a couple years ago, they're intentionally losing games and not even not even trying to hide the fact that they're doing that. So that's shameful. And then the Bulls have, in recent memory, have been known as one of the more poorly run franchises as well. Um, So now for for a change, for the first time in Jimmy Butler's career, he's on a team that is, you know, in the upper echelon when it comes to, you know, front office. You got Pat Riley coaching. You have Eric Spolstra, uh, just like, just like the the reputation that the Heat have built in the past few years, like you know, starting in probably when like Dwayne Wade and Shaq were there, uh, that's a team that I just think that Jimmy Butler will really mesh with, and I think he'll buy in and just I think we'll see just a locked in and focused Jimmy Butler because now he gets the chance to lead this team on his own. He's the undisputed number one option on offense. And it's not like he's surrounded by scrubs. He has players who, these young guys at least seem like they'll work hard. It's not like the Timberwolf situation where you had guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, who, super talented, obviously, but 
it still, even to this day, doesn't seem like they're really living up to their potential, which in other terms, in other words, that means they're not trying super hard. But the the young guys on this team, I don't think there's ever been a question about their work ethic. So I, I think we'll see a really good version of Jimmy Butler this year. Uh, number seven, I have the Indiana Pacers. And this is another team that has a you know a wide range of outcomes, but they so they lost Thaddeus Young, Bojang Bogdanovic, Wesley Matthews, and Darren Collison. Um, Darren Collison they lost to not even another team or yeah not even another team they lost him to Jehovah the the Jehovah's Witnesses, who that that might be even worse than losing him to another team, but. The, then on the other hand, they added Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. Warren, and Jeremy Lamb. So, lots of changes for this team. Uh, the Pacers last season, as you will recall, were like the feel-good story of the season. You know, they look like a really good team. They're in like the you know four or three seed, and then Victor Oladipo goes down with his injury and is out for the rest of the year. And most people expected them to just fold and you know maybe be battling for like the seventh or eighth seed at best. But they, they stuck around, and they were just a scrappy team, uh, just played really good fundamental basketball, and still were able to get the five seed. And they were only one game behind the Celtics for the four seed. Now, they didn't do anything in the playoffs. They got bounced in the first round. But they were still a team last year that, you know, old people and just people who were fans of good fundamental basketball, not one-on-one play, not iso ball, were just, you know, all, all the way fully on the bandwagon. Now... The, the biggest reason why I think people have the Pacers as, you know, finishing like at a super high seed uh, and being like a serious team in the East, I think people are assuming that Victor Oladipo is going to come back, you know, relatively early in the season. But I, I tried to look it up today and there's still no timetable. And this this is being recorded on October 18th. The season starts in four days. So if there's still no timetable, when does that mean he's going to come back? Um, just as early as a month ago, he wasn't even doing full contract, full contact drills. So that's obviously not a good sign either. Um, and I think that the three guys that they lost, Wes Matthews, I don't think that's, I don't think that matters at all. I'm sorry, I don't mean to pile on Wesley Matthews. I just don't think that they're going to feel that loss at all. But the three guys who they lost, Darren Collison. Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young. First of all, that's three starters. So they they just lost 60% of their starting five. And then those are three of the most, actually the three most important starters, maybe outside of uh, Sabonis, but for a team that's like, you know, under the radar, slept on, but will make fundamental plays and will somehow find ways to win games. Those are three of the guys who embody that the most. Um, I think... I don't know. I actually can't say what the biggest loss will be, but but I do think that that that's a lot of scoring and playmaking right there, just out the window. Now, Malcolm Brogdon, I already said he was one of the most underrated players in the league, in my opinion, and they did add him, so that'll be great. But he seems like a guy who who does better when he's not the focal point of the offense or of the team. And now, going into the season, right now, he's him and Sabonis are their two best offensive players. So I don't think that's a good sign if you're trying to be a serious contender. Um, I think 
you know, ideally you want Brogdon to be like a third or fourth option who can just knock down open threes and just make plays, you know, like a secondary playmaker. Um, I, but Sabonis and Miles Turner, that's th- those are the two X factors right there for the Pacers because the only chance they have is that those two guys come out of the gates just balling out to start the season and together. They have to ball out together because I don't know if one of them's going to come off the bench or what, but you lose Thaddeus Young, and that was like a perfect power forward slash center to pair with either of those guys. Now you don't have him anymore. So you need Miles Turner and Sabonis to figure out a way to play together. And I just don't know how much faith I have in that actually coming to fruition just because of what we've seen the past couple years. I just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that's something that you can really bank on. Um, they still do have Nate McMillan though, and I don't know how much that counts for, but they'll be a, okay, again, okay, so I have them as the seven seed, but I do think they'll be a tough out versus whoever they play, and they're still going to bring it every night, but you lose those, I mean, any team, any team, no matter how bad they are or how good they are, you take away three out of their five starters from the previous season, it's going to be rough, Right just because of the chemistry and just all of that, just acclimating new guys to the roster. Oh, who's the main scorer here? Boom, 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 all of the above. Um, coming in at number eight, I have the Detroit Pistons. This is just, at this point in the, in the episode, like this this is the Eastern Conference. We're getting into We're getting into the weeds at this point. Like we have the Pistons here. I wanted to put the Pistons at number six or seven, but... This is just one of the weirdest teams in the league right now. So really the only change that they made to their roster is they added Derrick Rose, which, I mean, I'm hoping for a D-Rose resurgence, just, you know, a revival of Derrick Rose. Just hopefully he averages 22 and 7 assists this season. Do I think that's going to happen? No. But they still do have Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson. Uh, they also have Tony Snell, who they added like midway through last season, who's just, you know, an average 3 and D player. Uh, but I just, this is a, such a hard team to get excited about. Like the, the eighth seed, the teams that were battling for the eighth seed in the West, you could at least get excited about and, you know, kind of hype them up as like, oh, maybe this guy can take a huge jump. The Pistons, on the other hand, like Andre Drummond, I think he's reached his ceiling we know what you know we know what his ceiling is and it just doesn't seem like he can't be like the focal point on a good team because he'll average year after year 15 points 15 rebounds which those are those are awesome you know just counting statistics but that's not like you can't go into a playoff series and say yeah Andre Drummond is our guy like you better watch out for him uh nobody's afraid of that i'm sorry now what the pistons do have on their side is the fact that with drummond and blake griffin they can theoretically match up with you know these jumbo lineups that have kind of been gaining a little more traction this season than in previous seasons because the warriors are out of the picture thank god but so you know pistons versus the sixers Horford and Embiid, uh, you know, the Pistons can somewhat counter that with Blake, Griffin, and Drummond. Uh, Reggie Jackson is still an above-average point guard, even though he he's a guy that, like, 
you can't trust him. You can't rely on him either. So that's a big reason why I have them this low. Uh, Blake Griffin did have a resurgence of sorts last season, but it's a fact he's one of the most injury-prone injury players that we have in the league, and now this season he's just another year older. Uh, so unless he you know, keeps taking his three-point shot to another level again this season, I don't see how much better he can get. Uh, and the reason, like it sounds like I'm just roasting the Pistons, but at the end of the day, it's the Eastern Conference, and if you have a big three of Derrick Rose, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond, that's enough talent right there to, I think, get you into the playoffs. Especially if Derrick Rose is coming off the bench and he should be able to cook a bunch of you know these young uh, just backup guards that these other teams will try and match up against him. Now, like I did for the Western Conference, uh, it was somewhat difficult to choose who the eighth seed would be. So I'm just going to do the bonus team, the team that I had just barely missing out on the playoffs. And for the Eastern Conference, that team is the Chicago Bulls might be surprising to some people. It shouldn't be. So the Bulls this offseason added Thaddeus Young, Thomas Sadoransky, and then Otto Porter as well. So that's three really solid additions, okay? And then this is a team that already had some pretty solid players and showed some promise last season. So they already had Wendell Carter Jr., who was a rookie last season. They already had Zach Levine, who put up serious you know, points on a bad team, nonetheless, but still showed that he's he's one of the be- better scorers in the league. And then they also add um, rookie, uh, they add they add rookie Kobe White from North Carolina. So this is just a team that's, they're loaded with solid players. They have no elite players. I don't think anyone on their team is even close to being considered elite, but they have a ton of solid players. Now, Zach Levine, should make the all-star team this season and to be honest he might average like 24 or 25 points per game um it looks like they'll be a super versatile team in terms of like you know the different combinations of lineups they can roll out so if they need to go big they can go with laurie marketing at the four and wendell carter jr at center and then if they need to go you know small ball they could play thaddeus young at the five, and then you could play Otto Porter at the four. Uh, you know, Zach Levine could play three, and then you could go like a super, a super small backcourt of Kobe White and Sadoransky. There's just a lot of different combinations of lineups that they could use where they'll still be solid. So I think that in the East gets you a good enough record to be right in playoff contention, and I would not be surprised at all if the Bulls make the playoffs this season. Um, and just the fact that they have all of these solid players, I think will be, it'll be great for Kobe White, who was drafted number seven overall. So a high lottery pick. I think it this will allow him to get, get acclimated to the NBA at his own pace instead of just getting thrown into, you know, starting for a team that's just getting killed every night where he puts up just super empty stats, right? So they don't even need him to start, and he might not even be their backup point guard. Chris Dunn might be their backup point guard. Um, so they won't need him to play big minutes right away, which means that he can develop into a solid, just like, you know, microwave scorer and playmaker off the bench when he's going against other teams' backups. Um, so I just think the Bulls are one of the more exciting teams in terms of like young teams that we have, just because they have all these guys who 
or at least solid at the worst and at the best you know they can develop into serious serious like good players i mean Lori markinen has the chance to be a like a really incredible stretch for wendell carter looks like he could be a super good like you know defensive center who can also get buckets at times um and then kobe white will see what he can become but you know he has solid three-point range and he's super quick and has handles so He's a guy that also that, you know, I'm excited to watch. Uh, and just to just to wrap up, I think the most surprising omission I have from this list is the Orlando Magic. Now, I know they made the playoffs last season as the seven seed, and I know they won game one in Toronto against the eventual champion Raptors. I just think last year was a perfect storm for the Magic. I mean, do we expect Nikola Vucevic to be better this season? Uh, Aaron Gordon might take another step up. Sure, it's possible. But, I mean, DJ Augustine is still their starting point guard as of, as of now. Uh, and then Markel Fultz. That's really the wild card for them, which I, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that swings in their favor and he goes out and shows why he was the number one pick. I just, do I have confidence in that happening? No, I do not. And their biggest addition this offseason besides Fultz was... Al Farouk Aminu, who, solid player, did some great things for the Blazers, but I don't think that's really changing anything up that much. Um, so so that, that will do it for my Eastern Conference uh, standing projection. But I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And to be honest, hopefully I can get this posted by tomorrow, which would be October 19th, uh, Friday, which would mean that we would have only three days until the start of the season. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to getting some more basketball podcasts out there because I do really enjoy these football ones, but basketball is my main sport, so I can't wait to get you know get into some topics once we get the game starting and we get to see like how these storylines that we've had the past you know three four months to think about. I can't wait to see how they actually start to unfold. So uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you haven't already, please follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and then download, like, subscribe. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of days with the next episode.